You're listening to DraftKings Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whoa, breaking news from the NBA official press release March 9th, 2023, that they have launched a strategic partnership powering next generation tracking technology with Sony's Hawkeye Innovations. Is there an echo in here? Where have I heard this before, Maze? Why, I believe a podcast called Basketball Illuminati had an episode called NBA Eyeing VAR. We were on this two months ago, folks. It's taken two months. It was weird. We had a couple people, my guy uh, Seth Partnow and Hollinger, they were seeing this story. They said, surprised this hasn't been announced sooner. It's been kind of an open secret in the league. Went to Sloan Conference and it was the chatter of the Sloan Conference. Hawkeye, NBA taking over, player tracking. Where have we heard this before? It was right on this show right here. The illumination out there. You kept your third eye open. You knew that this was old news when the NBA dropped it. Teams were already in motion preparing for this deal to commence between Hawkeye And the NBA, the VAR stuff, all the goaltending, the motion capture, and the ball, as we reported a couple months ago, this was already in the works, Mace. This was already happening. And yet, it was quote-unquote news. It was here two months ago. We are thrilled to partner with Sony Sports Businesses to leverage Hawkeye's cutting-edge 3D optical tracking data. This data will enhance our officiating 
power significant insights for our teams, and create a dynamic data set that will improve our game and enable unique engagement opportunities for NBA fans. That's right. And it's cool. It's a cool new technology that World Cup has been using. Soccer has been using the VAR over there. Just to recap, we've seen this in tennis where it's in versus out and they go to that 3D camera. And so we're going to be having this as soon as next season. I don't know the range of different calls that are going to be reviewable, but essentially we're not far away, Maze, from goaltending, from five second calls from in versus out of bounds, three-pointer versus two-pointer, the disappearing three-pointer from Buddy Heald last year. All that stuff could be automated by these cameras. Two months ago, we broke the news that this was happening and then nothing, radio silence until last week. But keep your third eye open, everybody. That's why you listen to this program right here, Maze. We give you the truth. The world wasn't even ready for it. We give you the truth. You hear that? That's our own horn tooting. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but- all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haberstroh, and as always, I'm being joined by producer Anthony Mays. And wait, where's Amin? Oh, you didn't get this top secret notification that Amino Hassan will be unreachable this week? He's out there fighting the fight, oh, yeah. seeking truth on the front lines. So Amino Hassan, our five-star general, is on assignment this week at an undisclosed location, but we are going to have a truth teller returning in Don Vaden, the consultant for third side coaching, former NBA director of officials and longtime NBA official. We're going to talk about Fred Van Vliet. We're going to talk about that whole Ben Taylor beef, the numbers behind it, the history behind it. We're going to also talk about what do you do when there's a escalating brawl or I, I shouldn't say brawl, an altercation between two players. What are you supposed to do? We're going to talk to Don Vaden about that. But first. You are listening to The Agenda with Tom Haverstroh and Amin Hassan. All right, Maze. Amin is out indefinitely, right? Out indefinitely. 
At least one episode. At least one episode. I think he's seeking a platform in Florida right now. The Levitard Show. He's going down to Miami to be on the Levitard Show at this moment. Some counseling from Stu Gutz. That's right. This is the new thing in the league is the indefinite absence. Personal reasons. We saw last year all the Kyle Lowry stuff. He was in and out of the lineup due to personal reasons. And now we're seeing with Kyrie earlier this season, indefinite suspension. And then there was like six protocols that he had to fulfill in order to get back onto the floor. Now we're seeing with Ja Morant with the Memphis Grizzlies after brandishing a gun live on his own Instagram, the team came out and said he's going to be gone for at least the next two games. That was last week. And now he remains without a timetable on a return to the NBA season. What is going on here? The whole indefinite thing. It just feels so soft. Back in my day, you'd get hit with a 50 game suspension or a 10 game suspension. But now they've got these indefinite absences. I think because of this, I don't know what you want to call it, player empowerment or whether it's the CBA negotiation is happening right now and they don't want to ruffle any feathers in the union and stoke any fires with the CBA talks that are supposed to be wrapped up. The deadline is at the end of March. And maybe the NBA doesn't want to come down hard or the players unions like, Hey, you better not hammer our players right now and, and jeopardize this whole deal that we've got. We're at the one yard line here. Don't mess us up. I don't know if that's what's happening here or whether the league is putting it on the team to adjudicate this. The league has not come out and said, John Morant is suspended for 20 games. They've opened an investigation, but they have not come out and said at the conclusion of our investigation, John Morant is suspended for the next 20 games. That has not happened. It is coming from the team. The Memphis Grizzlies are coming out here. And that distinction is important because usually these things are doled out by the league office. You know, like the Indiana Pacers, I do not believe were the ones who suspended Steven Jackson, et cetera, for that altercation, the malice at the palace. It was the league doing that. This is a little bit different. Tom, I'll take it a step further. Gilbert Arenas talked recently on his podcast how David Stern essentially conned him into taking a 50-game suspension. So I got suspended for mental issues that I wasn't mentally fit, which means I was suspended indefinitely until furthermore, until we evaluate the, the situation. But it, all it was was to get me out of the media because the story was too big for one or two games. What happened? He said, you're going to take 50 games or I'm going to come after your contract. So at that time, you know, I just lost my Adidas deal. And then he's saying, I'm going to take your contract if you try to fight this. I mean, uh, you know, that's a decision I had to make. And it was like, well, all right. I, I, I mean, who am I, am I going to fight the commissioner of the NBA at this point, you know, so I took the 50 games and shut the f up, you know, and it was like, I'll see you. I'll, hey, nice. Congratulations. I'll see you next season. That was the end of it. That was, yeah. So David Stern essentially strong-armed you into taking that 50-game suspension, mm -hmm. allegedly. No, no, no. There was no, this, this is no, no, we're not going to nope. do this. Okay, you're gonna, I'm, I'm you going to take that shit back. You're not a quote, air quoting. <laughs> you're not air quoting. No, he, no, he, he should knight me. <laughs> he gave me the should knight treatment, boy. It was safe. That wasn't that long ago. No. This was Gilbert Arenas. This was 2010. A bunch of players who were in the league at that point are still in the league. And now it's come to the point where John Morant is having an indefinite suspension 
we still don't have word as a Tuesday what's going to happen. So the word is from Bam McMahon, Tim McMahon of ESPN reporting that Ja Morant is going to Florida for counseling. And he has left the team in this indefinite absence. That's all we know. To be fair to the NBA, the arena situation happened in December 2009. On Christmas Eve, the NBA announced it was investigating the incident. On January 5th, Arenas was suspended indefinitely, out indefinitely. And then it wasn't until January 27th that Stern suspended Arenas for the rest of the season, which brought his game total to 50 games missed. All in all, the process took one month for him to come up with that decision. Meanwhile, we have another indefinite absence, Andrew Wiggins of the Golden State Warriors. We last saw him on February 13th. It's been over a month, and he continues to deal with an unspecified personal matter. Steve Kerr said, quote, we're giving him a space as he deals with something that's way more important than a game. I mean, I understand that you don't want to air some personal stuff or family matters or what have you out in the public, but it only creates more questions. Not specifying what's going on here is creating more mystery. It's why teams put out press releases to get out ahead of a story is to stop all of the speculation, to stop all the hysteria, what's going on and stop the excessive questioning the Warriors haven't done that in the case of Andrew Wiggins. They've purposely kept it very nebulous to what's happening here. John ja Morant, they're not putting a number of games on that suspension. And so people are going to continue to ask that question. When's he going to be back? When's he going to be back? And here you have Taylor Jenkins, the coach of the Memphis Grizzlies, who's going all righteous, indignant about the thought of a journalist asking the question about John ja Morant and what the suspension, when he's going to be back. And it puts everyone in a really difficult position is this air of indefinite absence. And look, I get it. You don't want to be public about private matters, but I think it's doing the player a disservice. I think it's doing the organization a disservice by not putting something out there that can stop all the questions to fill that void and just say, we're moving on. This is what's going on in very broad terms and move along because this just seems soft. I don't think it's helping matters by being non-committal on all of it with the jaw situation i agree i think the nba getting out in front of it and putting a number on the suspension adam silver making a strong declarative statement that tracks the andrew wiggins situation is a little more nebulous to me and i'm kind of of two minds about this on the one hand everybody should be entitled to personal situations not being publicized, but I do think that there is certainly more room for that to be abused mm. in the sense that a personal situation could literally be anything. And it's an easy blanket statement to cover up whatever is really going on, whether it's viable or not viable. I'm not saying that Andrew Wiggins situation is not viable. I'm sure that it is, but the more that that is publicized and used as an excuse, essentially, to not be present, then you're getting into Ben Simmons territory. And mm. then you're getting into, oh, I don't know, our friend Kyrie Irving, Tom. <laughs> Kyrie Irving, he's been in Dallas. Everything's been great. But on Saturday night, he didn't play against the Grizzlies because of right foot soreness. That seems fine. But he missed practice on Friday for a personal matter. 
That's right. A personal matter. And he said on Saturday that he was excused to attend the funeral of Najee Seabrooks, a black man whom police fatally shot earlier this month near Irving's New Jersey hometown. Then it became a foot injury, and now he's still out of this foot injury. And before all that, on Wednesday night, after the game where he allegedly got the foot injury because of playing 41 minutes, he spent an hour on Twitch with lit sage that wasn't just a giant blunt is what you're saying he clarified multiple times he doesn't want the mainstream media to take his smoke out of context tom this is sage i saw a couple of these clips from Kyrie. how long was he on for maze well he said he would only be on for you guessed it 11 minutes (laughs) no and that 11 minutes quickly became an hour plus because he needed to decompress. We did get confirmation on one thing, Tom, which is that it's all even. That's what he calls his tribe. Oh, all even. All even. I just thought it was 11. 11, all 11 even. We went through all the possible permutations. He says it's just all even. So we got that out of the way. He announced that, quote, I felt like I was low-key held captive at times because I couldn't get on my social platforms to really talk to y'all about the truth. There's press conferences like three times a day. That's not his platform. That's the media's platform. Nothing about that was low-key, by the way. It was super low-key. Sorry, you're right. He wasn't actually in prison, Tom. Yeah. He was low-key held captive. But I don't want to get too sidetracked by Kyrie. My point is this. A personal matter could be anything. And now it is an injury. Is this an indefinite absence now? He's clearly going through some stuff, including a foot injury and we'll see when he comes back i don't know and then we got this lebron instagram where he's what is this this is why amin has gone mia 100 percent. it's because lebron is coming for his corners and now lebron has posted a picture of himself chilling in a back to tank like darth vader just waiting healing resting up to make his triumphant return to the court maybe this is all just load management for Kyrie. load management for lebron no injuries. We don't want to aggravate that foot injury for when Kyrie Irving goes to the Lakers. I'm just saying there are no mistakes, no coincidences, Maze. No mistakes, no coincidences. Just like this John Morant story percolating around the time that we get a Shams report that the NBA and the Players Association are moving closer to agreement to establish a rule that a player must play in a minimum number of games to be eligible for major awards as part of a potential new CBA. Okay. I think this is hilarious because if I'm the union, I'd be like very skip Bayless about this. Now look, no one wants to put games on the books for the awards. No one wants that, but okay. If you must, if you must, We're willing to do it. Fine, fine. You know, and I know that these requirements, these game requirements are excessive. But if you must, we will do it if you give us 2% of the BRI. That's what you have to do if you're the union. But I feel like, Maze, that is already baked into the awards. Right. It's unspoken. So I don't see any problem with putting a number on it and saying, let's throw out 50 games. Yeah. The union's like, all right. You have to play in at least 50 games to be eligible for an award. It's already a soft 50 games, you know, for the awards. So for the union, 
I would use that as bargaining leverage and be like, oh, that is a huge ask for us, but we are willing to put that on the table, 50 game minimum, if you do X, Y, and Z. All right, let's look this up right now. In NBA history, the fewest games won by an MVP was 49 in 1999 for Carl Malone. That season was a shortened season. There's only 50 games. Then you go down to Bill Walton in 1978, played 58 out of the 82 games in 1978. And then you got LeBron 62 games out of 66 in 2012. And you got Giannis in 2020 playing 63. It's already a soft 60 game cap Yep. for the MVP. Shout out to Bill Walton. That makes it even more impressive to me that he won the MVP in only 58 games. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, that's exactly it, Tom. We're already doing that. The voters are already doing that. They're already taking the number of games played into account when you vote for these awards, which takes us back to John Morant and his indefinite absence. Oh, yes. Are we are we going to the Nate Duncan tweet here? We're going to Nate Duncan, who is doing the Nate Duncan thing of taking a news story and thinking intensely about the salary cap applications and the numbers. God love him. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to think this way. And it's him. That's his beat. That's what he does. He's one of the smartest guys. And he's telling you this has ramifications on the team building side on the cap side. So here's what Nate said. It's hard to imagine him making all NBA John Morant which I think would have been likely without these incidents, not making an all NBA would cost him about $39 million, reducing his contract from a projected five years, 233 million to five years, 194 million. We shouldn't be talking about salaries in this situation. No, no, no. You know who is probably interested by this? Anyone who works with John Morant. Everyone in the league is talking about, this is a talking point amongst executives, about agents, about players. Like if he's suspended for a while, oh, they're coming for his wallet, right? Like there's an actual rule here about all NBA escalators in your contract. If you make first team all NBA or if you make all NBA, you can get bumped up into another stratosphere. This does not mean that we cannot also care about the impact of brandishing a gun on Instagram live. You can have both conversations at once. A lot of times you can have hey, it's too soon for discussing about that. There are moments when maybe it might be too soon. When was that video done? A week ago? Last weekend? Yep. When is it going to be okay to point out the the salary cap implications and his implications? When is that going to be okay? Nate Duncan is voicing something that already the conversations will be happening around the league. And this falls in the same category of like, we don't need to get up in arms about the league awards having pinned to certain game requirements because it's already built into the CBA too. The precedent has been set, Maze. We're having it here with John Morant that there's certain things that you are eligible for. There's bonuses at the end of your contract based on games played. So I, I think the load management question, you know, the fact that indefinite absences are having impacts on the bottom line, all of this. I look at the NBA right now, and every time that we talk about John Morant and the gun and all the previous run-ins with the law, all of that is going to have impact on awards. It's going to have impact on your endorsements, on Powerade, on Nike, and it's fair game to talk about. Nate Duncan, what he just said, I have no problem with right now. For those who are upset that he's wrong place, wrong time, that's his job. 
His job is to tell you what NBA news impact is on teams, players, agents, the cap. If you don't agree with that, then don't follow Nate Duncan. He's a very specific type of NBA analysis. If you want a different type of NBA analysis, go right ahead. Getting off my soapbox here. All right. As you step down off your soapbox, one Kyrie Irving is still floating above his because during his live stream, he questioned the state of the entertainment business and you can fold the NBA into that. He said, is it just about the art anymore or is it about people in the media talking about people they don't know? Because they only get to see them for three hours a day. Three hours and you think you know who I am. You see a few posts. Oh, Kai's woke. Kai got it. Oh, oh, Kai is, oh my goodness. He just, he just doesn't fit into the mold of all of the people. And then, man, he's different. He's crazy. He's arrogant. He's this, he's that, he's this. All from seeing me from three hours. You get all that. Kai, well, what's Kai gonna do this summer? Does Kai like Dallas? What happened in Brooklyn? What happened in Boston? What happened in Cleveland? Why did you leave LeBron? Why did you leave Jason? Why did you leave Katie? Why did you leave all these people? For three hours. Get to ask all these legitimate questions. As if 21 hours every day wasn't happening after that. So there you have it. Kyrie, he doesn't want us to speculate on the implications of an indefinite absence. He doesn't want us to judge people based on them showing up to play a game. People are bigger than that. Yeah. Well, then you can kiss goodbye the rest of your contract because the whole media and the TV, all of it, all of it is why they have these huge contracts. You can't have one or the other. People think we're robots, Tom. Then there are people think we're robots and <laughs> people think we're controlled puppets. People don't even think we're human. People think we're beasts. People think we're we're robots that can perform over and over for their entertainment. What else can't we do? People just think we're robots in the media, like Nate Duncan, spitting out facts and stats. No, the media are people too. Speaking of people, Don Vaden coming up next, third side coaching, former director of NBA officials and longtime NBA official coming to join us again to talk about all the happenings on the officials and that Fred Van Vliet story, that Ben Taylor call out. Coming right up, Don Vaden. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You all think I'm late. Well, I'm not late. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause, even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity in the gray lie not in the truth. But what you do with the truth once you have it. What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's too messy. It keeps them up nights. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. 
Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. I'm a grown man, you can tell me the truth. Why is it people who want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do something really outrageous. I'm gonna tell the truth. All right, we're here with Don Vaden from Third Side Coaching Consultants. He and Shelly Russi do a great job coming onto this program. It's not the first time you've been here. Shelly's traveling, not able to make it today. But Don, you and Shelly provide services to NBA teams or players on how to understand refereeing or officiating, prevent you know foul calls, and how to get to the free throw line more. And when I saw this Fred Van Vliet story pop up, or when I saw this brawl, almost post-game brawl between Brooke Lopez and Trey Lyles. I was like, you know what? I got to give a call to you guys. Tom, it's an altercation. Oh, Mm. an altercation. See, you're already educating me. Like, are you review for a a potential hostile act when you go to the monitor? That's your trigger to go over. So uh, we don't like to use the word brawl. It's a little much. The one in the palace was a brawl. This one wasn't quite a brawl. This isn't WWE, right? I don't think it is. A lot of fans might think the NBA is WWE, but brawls are there. Despite what Dylan Brooks is trying to accomplish here, it's still not the WWE. (laughs) You can dress like Stone Cold Steve Austin. You can call out other players on other teams, but no, this is still the NBA. And we have altercations. Guys, remember, there was a time where we didn't have flagrant fouls. You know, it was either a fight or it was just a regular common file. So we didn't have replay to go to. I mean, we've come so far. And then guys get suspended or they get fined big dollars now, you know, when they miss these games. Fighting has gone away. You very seldom do you ever see a punch. And this year we've seen a few more punches. We've seen a few more people on the edge, and especially at the end of games. So it's a little different this year, but maybe we can talk a little bit about why it's where it's at. Yeah, so let's go there. For those who don't know, uh, Brooke Lopez of the Milwaukee Bucks was being the muscle for Giannis Antetokounmpo late in the game. Sacramento Kings, Milwaukee Bucks, huge game between the two. Giannis is just dribbling out the clock. You know, we see this every game. Sometimes he tries to miss on purpose to try to get that triple-double. And maybe Trey Lyles didn't appreciate that, Don. Maybe that's what this is all about, is Trey Lyles actually is a triple-double truther standing up for the sanctity of the triple-double and wanted to take it out on Giannis. You're not going to dribble out this clock without me saying something about that. And he fouled him and got in his face, pushed him, and then Brooke Lopez comes in, and they're, like, going at each other's necks. I don't think there were any punches landed, but it became an altercation, and I noticed. I had to make mention of this. My favorite part of this video is referee crew chief Billy Kennedy, because as he's watching this unfold, he kind of takes a few steps back. He's not running into the fire. He's not rescuing or separating. He just takes a couple of steps back and he just watches this whole thing go down as security officials, the coaches, all that they get out. So I'm wondering, Don, were you a guy, are you a Billy Kennedy or are you someone who's getting in the middle of it? What was Don Vaden like as an official? Look, your rule of thumb, if you can get there before it starts, like if you can see it happening and try to get there, you try to go. Once it breaks loose, you just do Billy. You just get back out of the way, fold your arms and say, "Okay, have at it, because the meter's running this whole time. The more it goes longer, the more ejections, the more fines, all that stuff is adding up. And so in the old days, we would have to step back because we didn't have replay. And we had to visualize who came off the bench and who pushed and who we're going to give technicals to. Now you can actually go over and look and re-referee the whole deal again. So you don't have to make a decision on the floor. 
I think everybody knew that they were gone, but there's different ways that you can handle things. One is get in there before. And the other one, once they start, they're bigger than you are. So there's no way you have any power over them. And you don't want to hold a guy from behind and like grab his arms and hold his arms down because the guy could punch him and you've got his arms locked. So you don't want to do that either. So Mm. if you do anything, you want to grab him around the waist and try to pull him out. But for the most part, they're so big and they're they're so aggressive going at each other and they're they're pissed off at the time. So best to get out of the way and let security and let their teammates help you. Is there a role for referees to prevent this sort of thing? Like, did you feel like you'd make certain calls in a game or you would have certain conversations in a game to kind of put out fires that you knew could escalate into an altercation? Well, there's a couple things. You gotta know some history. If players, certain players have a history against each other. You want to know that before you go into the game. So you're just aware because you don't want somebody to throw an elbow or something and you don't see it. And now you've missed that play. That's one thing. The other thing is the history of the teams playing each other. Is there a history? This is what you got to know going in. Once you go out there, you have to you have to referee what happens. You can't say, okay, because he's involved, I'm going to call a foul. Or because these two are involved, I'm going to call double technicals and throw them both out. You have to go by what happens. You just have to be aware. Now, this game alone, I have no idea if it was contentious throughout and there was, you know, technical fouls before. This is a big game and it was a great basketball game. And to be marred by it at the end was kind of unfortunate. But when you look at Trey Lyles, I've been around Trey Lyles before and he's so quiet and so mild-mannered. Lopez is pretty much the same way. He's a gentle giant. He's not going to cause any issues. So, There had to be something going on. Basketball etiquette is you let Milwaukee run out the clock. Last night, was it a reaction of what already happened? I don't know. Is it something that happened in the past? That, again, I don't know for sure. But I know what happened last night was, you know, double ejections, and there's going to be fines. There could be suspensions because it was pretty aggressive, and it caused a lot of action, a lot of activity. So we'll see. From a referee standpoint, though, while the game is going on, you know, you ask what can referees do? It was always said that you can manage a game by calling personal fouls or technical fouls. Personal fouls keeps everybody on edge because it doesn't allow them to get too aggressive and too rough. You don't want the game to ever get rough. Aggressive basketball is great. Rough basketball doesn't work. That's when tempers can flare and things can get out of hand. Not sure exactly what calls last night, like I said, but a referee has to understand that Things are getting on the edge. And how do you pull that back? Most of the time, you can do it by calling personal files and making them all behave and play by the rules. That's one of the things referees can do to control the atmosphere out there. When I look at this play, you can call a personal foul on Trey Lyles, but it's already done. It's already an altercation. I guess my question is, you said you go into a game and you got to know the beef if there is any beat between the two teams. Mm-hmm. But did you ever find yourself giving out a personal foul that was a 50-50 call, but you wanted to fuse any sort of altercation from bubbling up? Because you knew it was front of mind, like, oh, I know that Draymond Green doesn't like Dylan Brooks. So at the first sign of Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green going at it, I'm just going to pop him with a technical. You may as well pop them during the uh, captain's meeting. If you do it then, (laughs) they've got to behave the rest of the game. So that's one thing you can do. The other thing is you have to manage that matchup whenever they're together. And you know there's an issue to start with. There's history, but you can't overreact. You can't just call stuff that's not there. It still has to happen because then you become a person that's targeting someone during the game, like you're already looking that way. or You can't do that. It's got to happen. 
because this game is completely different than the last game or the, the social media post or the podcast or whatever happened with them before. That doesn't have anything to do with tonight, but you have to have it in the back of your mind that just be aware so that especially off ball, rebound, dead ball, that your antennas are up, that anything might happen. And you got to be ready for those. Don, you said you have to be aware of existing beefs between players and relationships between players. Shouldn't you also be aware of existing relationships between the refs and the players, which is what happened with Fred Van Vliet? We have this clip here. I mean, I don't mind. I'll take a fine. I don't really care. I thought, you know, um, Ben Taylor was terrible tonight. Um, I thought that on most nights, you know, a couple other, you know, out of the three, there's one or two that just f the game up, you know, and it's, it's, it's been like that a couple couple games in a row. Um, Denver was tough, obviously. You come out tonight, you're competing pretty hard. The third quarter, I get a bullshit tech, changes the whole dynamic of the game, changes the whole flow of the game. And, um, you know, most of the refs are trying hard. I like a lot of the refs are trying hard. They're pretty fair. They communicate well. And then you got the other ones who just want to be dicks and um, just kind of f the game up. Nobody's coming to see that shit. They come to see the players. And um, I think we're losing a little bit of the fabric of what the NBA is and was. And um, it's been disappointing this season. Um, you can look up most of my texts this year have been with Ben Taylor officiating. So at a certain point as a player, you feel it's personal. And um, it's never a good place to be. That's not why we lost tonight. We got outplayed. Um, but it definitely makes it tougher. Where do you even begin with this? Refs and players obviously have relationships. They're co-workers. They work for the same company, which is the NBA. They have the same responsibilities to show up and do the best they can. But how do you manage a simmering relationship between a referee and a player? You can actually schedule meetings between referee and player, referee and coach, and you can monitor that meeting. So at least they're in a situation where it's not hostile and it's not taking anything away from each other. You're just having a normal conversation to see if that works. There's a couple of ways that it works in refereeing is that there's a coaches meeting in Chicago. There would be times that I would have referees that were rated low. We would take those referees to Chicago and mix them with the coaches in a non-basketball, non-game type situation, let them get to know each other off the floor. It's a little bit more difficult with players, but you're constantly running into them on vacation or you're running into them in Vegas during summer league and things like that, where you can off the floor could be completely different, but that could also carry to on the floor. So as much as you can do to try to get that worked with, that's what we do a lot of times with players is we will talk to them about when to say something and when not to say something during games, when to walk away, when to ask the question and how to ask the question that doesn't get them the technical foul, that doesn't have histrionics or some type of emotional outburst. That's one of the things that Shelly's really good at working with players with. Did you have a player in the NBA who felt like you had an ax to grind with him and, and it was almost comical to you? Like, really? You think I, I have an issue with you? I can't remember. People have asked me that before. It's hard to pinpoint a player. I mean, I know of different situations where I was in games where one of the referees would say, look, you got to really help me with this player tonight because we have this thing. And then it would be 30 seconds into the game. He's already thrown the guy out or he's had a technical foul. So stuff just happens like that. And finally, they both grow up and, and move on. 
and get to the point that they can have a decent conversation even during games. I can't really say that there was actually one player that I called more technical fouls on than somebody else or somebody that I was afraid of. I mean, you know, Charles, he used to scare me right often. And so did Carl Malone. They were bigger than I was, and they were pretty bad, bad dudes during games. But as time went on, you found a way to communicate with them, get on the same page, or at least be able to see eye to eye and get through conflicts together. So you didn't have a Fred Van Vliet, but if I were to do the analytics on Don Vaden's technicals, is there a coach that you would guess had the most technicals whistled by Don Vaden? Yes, I know. It would shock you. It shocks me. Rick Carlisle. <laughs> Rick Carlisle is one of my favorite people in the whole world. And I would walk up to him right now. We would have the best conversation. And he probably doesn't know it, but I know it. This thing went on for a while. Like it was time that he would just run out on the floor. And I, I had no choice. I was either going to have to fist fight him or throw him out. So in this particular case, it's Fred Van Vliet, who's a veteran NBA player. One of the best point guards in the league. He's one of the top scorers in the league. He's won an NBA championship. He's a guy who plays super hard on the floor and gives it everything he has. He's also smaller than your average NBA player. So you'd expect him to always be punching above his weight. He comes out here and just blasts Ben Taylor, who's a veteran NBA official who's been in the playoffs four times. He's not a finals NBA official. And as we've covered here on this show, the ones who are most trusted by the NBA or have the highest ratings by the NBA, they're getting to the NBA finals. And Ben Taylor, while he hasn't gotten to the finals, he's on that track, right? As a younger official. He's a crew chief in this particular game. Fred Van Vliet gets teed up and he gets really frustrated and he calls him out. So I did some research here, Don, and here's what I found. I looked at over 800 technical fouls this season in the NBA. Fred Van Vliet, as of March 8th, when this happened, he had eight technicals to his name. Of those eight, three of them have been doled out by Ben Taylor. And of course, we know from that clip Fred Van Vliet's very well aware of a history with Ben Taylor. And it isn't most of his tees are from Ben Taylor. Those games in which he has gotten technical fouls, they're oftentimes Ben Taylor games. But I wanted to point out that Ben Taylor teed him up on the 19th of November, on the 30th of November, and then March 8th here most recently that prompted this rant. It's the only referee player pairing in the league this season that has three different games where a player got teed up by the same official. We've seen from Mitchell Irvin and Kevin Porter Jr., there have been three techs. However, two of those were in the same game. There was a double technical with Jose Alvarado, and they got in a tussle, and they got thrown out. Sorry, an altercation. The difference here is that Fred Van Vliet and Ben Taylor, it's three games, three separate games this season that he's been teed up. To you, is that abnormal? Look, anytime it's over the norm, you can say it's abnormal, but I don't think it's unusual. Number one, Fred is one of the nicest people in the league. You hardly ever see him get upset, even during games. And he does play hard, and he's competitive as hell. But you don't see him go off like he did the other night. This is probably not just about Ben Taylor, and it's probably not just about that game because I've seen the video clips of those games where he got the technical foul, and most of the calls were correct. It's something else, okay? It's their interaction with each other. They just don't mesh. You know, Ben's trying to do the best he can. He's a younger crew chief or a more inexperienced crew chief in a role. His partners are not necessarily experienced. So he's probably feeling the need to do a little bit more. 
Now, I'm not in his shoes, so I don't really know, but I've been there in the past. Where you're the crew chief, you're the leader of the group, yes. the referee crew, and the two other officials with you are newer officials or younger officials, don't have that same experience, and you, as the crew chief, kind of have to pick up a little bit extra. Yeah, you have to. You just have to be aware more of what's going on, and you have to have discipline in your game or it gets completely out of whack and things get crazy. But one of the plays that I saw, there was a foul on Scotty Barnes where they go up and get all ball. Ben has a foul. He goes up, looks at it. Well, of course, Fred fouls him on the play. Yep. He did what he's got to do. Once you go over there and it's challenged, look, if it's not challenged, the foul's on Scotty Barnes. <laughs> but when you go to replay, you got to go with what you see. And now you realize that Scotty Barnes got the ball, but Fred Van Bleet fouls him on the arm. So, he has no option. That's the call. Now, the rest of the stuff, I come back to the fact is that this is more about something else, personalities, their interactions, what they're saying to each other. And I think that can be worked out, maybe not on the floor, but somewhere else. And that's that's up to the league to get them together or third side coaching, get with Fred and how he can work with Ben in a different way to work things out. Because, look, Ben's going to be there a long time. Fred's going to play for a long time. So, And Ben's going to be a finals official. He's already a crew chief. He's already working a lot of those games. So eventually he's going to be there. They're going to be in the league together for a long time. And the league is not going to take Ben off of all games that Fred plays in. Eventually they're going to see each other again somewhere. So they have to be able to work it out and be able to get along, coexist in the same office. I'll see you when you get there. If you ever get there. Well, Tom, that's funny because we talked before about how the league was trying to keep Marat Kogate away from the Warriors a oh, little bit. I didn't say that. Those are the facts. Those are the facts. It's the, the facts. Whether the NBA purposely kept Marat Kogate and Draymond Green away from each other and had some sort of Warriors suspension for Marat Kogut. I don't know. I'm not saying that. I'm just pointing out it was the only team that Marat Kogut didn't officiate that season, and it was the only official that Draymond Green didn't see that following season. Tom, I'm okay with that. There's no use of putting the two guys together if Draymond thinks that he's got an issue because it hurts the Warriors. If Draymond has this issue with Marat, he probably has issues with more than Marat, but if he had issues with Marat, it's better to take him out of the game. There's plenty of other teams to go work. It's also better for Marat. Yes, it's better for Marat because right off the bat, as soon as something happens, Draymond's going to go after Marat. Now Marat's got to make a decision. Okay, here he comes again. Am I going to tee him? Because now the other team is looking too. The other team knows. They know. Yeah. So they know and they say, look, he's a coward. He's not doing what he's paid to do. He's got no guts. It's a double-edged sword. I don't know. He's got 29 other teams you can put him in. So put him there. I mean, there's been a history of it all through time. Right, right. So the whole Charles Barkley, Mike Mathis, or Joey Crawford and Tim Duncan, like that sort of thing. All of us have these conflicts with players from time to time. And so sometimes it's best to have a little distance in it because by the time they get back to playing again, that player's already pissed at somebody else. They're not so pissed at you anymore. You got to look at it that way. So creating some space, not always a bad thing. Don, I want to ask about part of Fred's comments, which actually echoes Shaq's comments once upon a time, the idea that no one is at these games to see the referees. Davis turn around the wide, the league is losing money, that's why. We're going to pay good money to come watch the athletes play, and they try to take over the game. Shaq, we're on live. 
I know. That doesn't seem fair to me, Don. I think the refs are really, for the most part, trying to do their job and stay out of the way as best they can. But has there ever been, in your experience, a ref who is making a call for show? It doesn't do them any good. They get graded on if they're right or wrong. I think the one thing to remember is referees are not there to be the show. But there are times that you have to make calls. There's times that you're going to have to make a call. That even before you make the call, you're saying, this is going to cause some grief here. And it's going to all come down on me. But I have to make this decision because it's the right thing to do for the game right now. Even at the end of the game, people say, you can't make that call at the end of the game. Well, if you let a play go and you know it's a foul because you're not supposed to make that call at the end of the game and it decides the game, you made the error. Then you're deciding the game by that. Yeah. You go in the last two-minute report and you know everybody knows that it was you that made the mistake. So with gambling the way it is these days, right up to the very end, that take foul last night at the end of the game could have been important somewhere mm-hmm. because it's two free throws with Giannis. Not that he may hit both of them, but he's going to be at the line shooting two and whatever happens with the spread. I mean, and that happens every night. There's a take foul at the end of the game that may change, may not change. As a referee, you have to referee the game right up to the very end, regardless of what happens. And regardless of what the score is, because somewhere it matters. They're betting on players per quarters and quarters scores and things like that. So everything matters. It's even more so important than ever before. What about the fine? So he was fined $30,000. And I know you've been in those discussions at the league about fines. You were the director of NBA officials for several years. So you know how these things get doled out. I was actually kind of surprised that he didn't get a larger fine. I think a lot of people were surprised he didn't get suspended because not only did he call out Ben Taylor, he did so with profanity and he went in. Like he didn't just say it once. He just kept going. He did say some nice things about referees in general, but I didn't know if that did enough to warrant just $30,000. And so how does that work in your experience? the fine itself. And were you surprised by Fred Van Vliet only getting 30000 Well, you know, it's not a one-person decision. It goes around to a group of people that look at this. They look at old video of previous fines and see where it kind of falls in with all that. So let's say all the fines have been 20000 All of a sudden, you give him a 75000 fine or you suspend him for a game because other teams are going to go back, well, this is what you did with this guy. This is what you did. And with social media now, everybody knows everything that everybody's ever said. So they have to be fair in their assessment of it. Right. They have to be consistent with it. If he does it again tomorrow night, it's probably going to be a lot higher. Okay. But if you think about it, Fred, he's never really been in the media like that in a negative way ever. And he's speaking up for more than just himself. <laughs> and he's speaking up about more than just the referee in that game. It's more to it. You know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because now other players are using Fred Van Vliet as like a verb almost. <laughs> I'm not going to go all Fred Van Vliet on you, but there's something there. That's all I'll say. Trey Young did it the other night. I think Marcus Smart might have done it. These players are now using Fred Van Vliet as a shield to be like, I'm not going to go all Fred Van Vliet, but he's onto something. I agree with Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. Yeah. Look, <laughs> Had a lot of guys say, you know, he said what I wanted to say, but I just can't do it. You're right. When you look at the history of fines involving officials, it's somewhere between 15,000 and 35,000. Whether it's contact with an official or calling out officials last year, Monty Williams and J.B. Bickerstaff both called out officials and they both got hit with $15,000 fines. So Van Vliet's, it's not $100,000, it's not fifteen, somewhere in between. 
But to me, these guys are making so much money, Don. Don't you feel like the fine should be pegged to the salary cap in some way? Because Fred Van Vliet makes $21 million this year. A $30,000 fine is the equivalent of someone who's making $100,000 getting hit with a $100 fine, a parking ticket, essentially. It matters somewhere, okay? Because let me tell you, I had a game one time. I had Alvin Gentry and Doc Rivers were the two coaches, and they were yelling at my partners. And so the half ended and they went to the locker room and I walked over to the scores table and said, I have a technical foul on both coaches and you're going to go tell them. <laughs> and I told my partners, I said, now we're going to look and see how they react when they come out. I said, I can't wait. So as soon as they both come out, they're both yelling at me, right, for giving them a technical foul. So it was funny as hell. So the whole second half, they were all apologetic. At the end of the night, I ended up calling the office and said, look, I want to take away the technical files. I'll rescind the technical files. I'll give them their money back. There's no free throws or anything. I just don't want to have them fined. The next time I had Orlando is where Doc was coaching. There was this lady standing on the baseline waving for me to come over. And I was like, who the hell is this woman? But I'm going to go over and be cordial. So I walked over and she said, I'm Doc Rivers' wife. And I want to say thank you for getting the fine rescinded because it was right before Christmas, you know, she went through the whole thing. So it's a big deal to somebody. <laughs> this 35000 I mean, 35000 would be huge for us, no matter how much they're making, okay? Last question before I let you go here. As a fellow referee, are you going to now retaliate by being harder on Fred Van Vliet because he did that to your colleague? That's one thing I give Fred a lot of credit for is that he did that, knowing that that could happen, that they could take it out on him. Look, referees get judged for every play they call and stuff like that. And it is hard. Back in the day when we didn't have analytics and we didn't have graders and, you know, we didn't have directors, group supervisors and things that you have now that are like monitoring every play and you have the replay center that's watching every call. I can tell you this. If there is a number of calls against him that are incorrect, the league's going to know about it and it's going to come down on the guys. The referees... Men and women, they feel the same thing, that they have to be right. They can't just go in and target Fred and say, I'm not going to give him calls because of what he said. It's like any other game. That game is over. What he did is over. And you cannot let that linger and have any bearing on your decision-making going forward because you're still there to serve the game and be fair. You just can't do it. You can't take it out on him. Well, now we know. That's why you were so nice to Doc Rivers after all these years is because his wife came up to you and said, thank you. Thank you for that. That explains it. Why you get a Christmas card from Doc Rivers every year. Yes. Because Don Vaden gave Doc Rivers kids Christmas presents. Yes, that's wow. what she did. You're welcome, Austin. Austin doesn't know it. <laughs> Santa Don. There you go. <laughs> Santa Don. Oh, man. Okay. Well, thanks for explaining all of this stuff. And I appreciate you from Third Side Coaching. That's Don Vaden, Santa Don. We'll see you next time where there's some sort of referee thing going on in the league. We need dancers.
it's really a shame we don't have football Illuminati right now to talk about all of the chaos that Aaron Rodgers is wreaking upon the NFL with his teasing of the Jets franchise, his demands. They signed Alan Lazard and then reports are coming out. They're going after Randall Cobb and he wants them to get Mercedes Lewis and he's giving them a wish list. And all I see in the replies everywhere I go is now, why would they do that? Mm. Windy with his little windy fingers, just windshield wiping back and forth across my timeline. Knowing Brian, he hates this stuff. He hates it. He did a really good bit. Like that is such me material that Utah Jazz Royce O'Neal. Now, why would they go ahead and do that? Hmm. That was amazing acting, amazing performance art. But the fact that this happens all the time and people in his life are probably sending it to him every day. I was just watching this soccer game and someone pointed, I saw Brian Winters' face on the soccer tweets. Like I'm guessing he's just tired of that by now, but I'm just really bitter that it's his face and it's not our show. Mm. Yeah. You know, we missed an opportunity here. To make a meme? To make a meme. Not a mean. A meme. Yeah, we've got a mean. We got a mean, but not a meme. Not today, <laughs> but usually we have a meme. Yeah. Oh, you wanted a meme. We also don't have a meme either. We don't have a meme. We got Angel cranking out these amazing arts every week, but none of them are a meme. Not a meme. I mean, we missed the opportunity to get a meme. It's always been our dream to get a meme. We just need to start Football Illuminati. That's what we need to do. We got to do it before Aaron Rodgers retires. He's our Kyrie. He's our Kyrie. He's all even. He's our gateway drug to the NFL Illuminati. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.